once we did that, and once we said that, that that's our goal, we found that there is a lot of qualified Hispanics, Asians, Blacks in our ranks that all they needed was a chance. And, and we gave them and we gave them the chance and, and they're performing outstanding. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years' experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Black and Blue Podcast. Thank you for joining me here today. My name is Dale. I'm the host of the Black and Blue Podcast. Uh, We've got a lot of crazy things going on in this nation. As you all well know, I'm out here in Southern California. I've got another officer out here from Southern California. He is a 25-year veteran of the LAPD. Everybody help me welcome in Craig Marquez. How you doing, sir? How you doing? Doing great. Excellent. Excellent. So, man, things are crazy right now. We got uh, the Minnesota thing that maybe we'll touch on, but we definitely got the, the COVID-19 stuff that uh, is going on. I see your shirt going on there. I, I like that shirt. What does it say? It says COVID-19. COVID-19 and uh, uh, obviously the whole pandemic thing. And, uh, you know, if you if you serve any time time in law enforcement in uh, Southern California, you know that there's always uh, partners and everything that, that, that are making all kinds of things, whether it's hats, shirts, and, you know, small business owners. So, you know, part of, part of being friends is that, you know, friends support friends. And we definitely want to buy all the gear. They come out with a lot of cool stuff. And uh, American, American Spartan apparel is one of my, uh, the owners, Chuck is one of my friends. And, you know, I'm, I'm here to support everybody and supporting means that, Hey, you got to break out your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> and right. donate to their co- their children college yeah. funds. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice, nice. So on that, how how are you guys dealing with the COVID nineteen out there in LA? Uh, we obviously, you know, working Rampart, our our community. Uh, we're the most uh, where I work is approximately six square miles, and which is not a very big division uh, uh, land wise. But you're looking at six square miles where approximately almost 300,000 people live. So it's the most densely populated uh, area uh, in the country next to next to the Bronx. So we have a lot of people. We have a lot of uh, documented cases. Our, our, we did the count uh, the other day. And maybe about two weeks ago, we had approximately 700 documented cases, which was the largest part of Los Angeles. Uh, our neighborhoods that are in our communities. So with that, uh, we just recently this week had our first case of one of our one of our officers or detectives or detectives having a case of uh, COVID-19. And a lot of that is just the precautions that we take, whether it's, uh, you know, it's vigilance, mm-hmm. you know, vigilance uh, uh, and everything you do uh, going out making sure our cars are wiped down at the beginning 
beginning of our shift. So wiping down the steering wheels, wiping down the door handles, uh, all these things, uh, washing our hands, uh, wearing our face masks. So a lot of those things are just really basic things. And, you know, and the officers have been doing them. And that's, that's really made the difference. It made the, all the world a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. And you and your family has been doing well on that as well, too. Oh, yes. Um, I mean, obviously, with school being out, uh, right. my my kids have been home. And, and so we've been limiting our our exposure going out. Uh, it, it's modifying uh, our habits a little bit, uh, a little bit. Uh, I'm pretty lucky. I have two two great kids that, you know, that love art and, and reading and, and, and video games and everything else like that. So this has been like an extended summer break. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. On top of, on top of their schoolwork and everything. And so, and it's great, you know, um, with, with all the things that they're picking up, uh, with, with the, the COVID-19, uh, break from school and everything else like that, they've learned a few things. They learned, uh, this video meeting thing, which they gave me a crash course yeah. on and everybody <laughs> gave me a crash course on and, and I'm all tech, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. This is yeah. my first one. And I'm, I'm, now you're you know, a I'm pro. learning along with him. <laughs> yeah. Now you're a pro. <laughs> yes. All right. So, so what do you do right now at, uh, at uh, LAPD? Well, I've, uh, I've, I've worked a lot of different, uh, uh, specialized units uh, in 25 years, most of my time has been in specialized units. So, um, I've, you know, several years ago, I decided, I, you know, I kind of wanted to come back and kind of end my career, uh, right where I started it at and, uh, or at least, uh, started the, the biggest patrol, uh, the biggest part of my patrol experience has been in Rampart division. And so I kind of wanted to come back to a place where I, I came home or I call home. And I came back to the gang unit. So now I'm working as a gang detective uh, in Rampart Gangs. Okay. Yeah, Rampart's got a storied history. We all know about what, uh, you know, went down there a few years back. And uh, how are things out there now with, with the changes that you guys went through in Rampart? Oh, um, you know, I, I, you know, it's one of the most th um, things, that, it's one of the things that I'm most proud of, you know, every, you know, when Ray Perez got arrested, um, and, and for those of your listeners that don't know, you know, in the 90s, we had an officer who worked our crash unit, um, Community Resources Against Street Hoodlums, uh, which is our gang unit. And he was, you know, a corrupt officer stealing, you know, uh, staged a shooting uh, where, where a suspect was, was shot and they said he had a weapon and he didn't. Uh, so that was a big thing. And the evolution that we took after that uh, was amazing. And, you know, any type of change that you come in law enforcement, uh, you can do it, you know, you can do it two ways. Either you can do it um, uh, militaristic style where this is, you know, this is going to end and, and, and it's harder to change a culture like that. Uh, to change a culture, it's, it has to come organic and it takes time. Yeah. And the things that we've seen uh, the difference now working gangs to where it was before, we're a much more professional, much more, uh, it's, it's a much better officer that works our gang unit. It's, um, it's something that's, you know, a lot of it is merit, you know, most of it's merit based. So if you're working gangs, you, you deserve to work gangs. You're, you're doing good police work. Uh, you're professional. 
uh, in, in what you're doing, you're, you're efficient. And that's the basis of you being accepted. Uh, and that's the way it should be. And it opens up, you know, we, you know, a lot of what you, you talk about here is, is minorities in law enforcement. And when you have that, that's something that's just uh, merit based. It opens the doors up for a lot of, you know, a lot of blacks, a lot of Hispanics, a lot of Asian officers that probably may, may not have gotten a chance, you know, back in the old days, but now they're getting their chance now. And it's, and it's, it's a better, it's better for all of us. Yeah, that's good stuff. So uh, speaking of minorities, what, what is your background? So I'm, I'm mixed. So I have uh, great grandparents that both that came from Portugal uh, to Hawaii uh, and also I have uh, another set of grandparents, great grandparents that came from the Philippines. So I'm half Portuguese, half Filipino that grew up in Hawaii. <laughs> that grew up in Hawaii. Okay. Uh, yes. So there's a story there. How do you make it over to LA? Um, so growing up, so growing up in Hawaii, I mean, you're talking about, you know, when growing up, I, I, I looked up, looked up the population. So in the eighties, the population was approximately 80,000. So you could fit the entire population of Maui, which is the island that I grew up on, in the LA Coliseum and still have another 10,000 empty seats. Right, right. So, yeah. so needless to say, it was a pretty, it's a, it, it wasn't a hard life in, in a sense, you know, that we had a lot of distractions, but opportunities were very hard to come by. If you didn't have a rich family that that could afford to send you away to college, your only other chance to get off the island and see someplace else was the military, which was promoted from a young age. Say, hey, listen, you know, if you, you know, I knew my parents didn't come from money, so that that left one one available option. And uh, luckily, I had a lot of family members that were in the military, and I had friends that were in the Marines. And so it came really early, like around 14. So my freshman year, I decided that that was the route where I was going to go. So all through high school, I knew, I, you know, at the end of it all, I was going to join the Marines. And at 17, I did. And I left home when I was 17 to join the Marines. All right. All right. And wh- where were you stationed? Uh, my first duty station was in Panama. And uh, this was right after the war, right after uh, Operation Just Cause and and we got rid of uh, General uh, Manuel Noriega. Okay. And uh, after that, I came back to. I did. That was a what they call a B billet, so it's only a temporary billet. And then I, and I came back to um, Camp Pendleton, and that's where I was. I was in Third Battalion, Fifth Marines, uh, Kilo Company, and I did my the remainder of my enlistment there, and, you know. Comes 1995, um, we had 1994 was the crime bill. Uh, for those of us who are around, uh, we remember the 1994 crime bill that they had, and they were hiring a thousand, thousands of officers and a thousand in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. And I was looking at being unemployed. <laughs> so right. I was like, I like my chances much better being one in a thousand than, you know, going back to Maui and being maybe one of 25. We, we really didn't know. They really couldn't tell me at the end, like how much they were hiring or, or give me a good picture of it. And Los Angeles had this really robust plan on hiring over a thousand officers and, and really bulking up their ranks. And I really liked what they had to say. And, 
and growing up in, you know, growing up in Hawaii and, you know, your first introduction to law enforcement, most of us has been through television, television series. Uh, and growing up, there was no shortage. You know, you had Adam 12, you had Hawaii 5 if you're in Hawaii, uh, but you also yeah. had a lot of different ones. You had SWAT, you had the rookies. And so it was like one of these things where you sit there and, you know, as a kid, and it's kind of funny how it ended is it's like you grow up with all these images of TJ Hooker and, and Hunter and, and, yep, yep. and Los Angeles. And you never think in a million years, you know, living in an island with only 85,000 people that you're ever going to do. And, you know, your dream is, hey, maybe one day I'll come back and be a cop in Hawaii. Uh, you never thought that you actually go out and, and you know, be part of the quote unquote, the big city. Uh, right. And and that opportunity came. And I looked at going back home and I said, you know, this is this is the dream. You know, this is the dream. You know, for those of us who who came into law enforcement, I looked at I looked at LAPD and I said, you know, you only get one shot. And, and I didn't really know. And it was a pretty scary thing where, hey, I'm going to be living now in California full time in Los Angeles. And so there was a lot of moving parts. But it's like you only get your one shot and you, you took it 25 years later. I'm still here. All right. And is all your all your family still back there in Hawaii? Yeah, all my family's uh, back in Hawaii. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, it's not a really didn't really go over too well. Obviously, you know, when they see you go away, um, join the Marine Corps, joining the Marine Corps wasn't popular in my family, obviously with uh, desert storm and, and, and Panama being like back to back, uh, joining the military at that time was a real scary proposition for parents as it is now with, you know, uh, uh, during a, just recent times with uh, Afghanistan and Iraq being back to back and having a kid go off into the military during uncertain times is not popular. Uh, so my, it wasn't a really popular decision when I made the decision then. And then, you know, four years later, I come back and said, Hey, you know, I'm going to stay in Los Angeles or I'm going to move to Los Angeles mm -hmm. and join the LAPD. Uh, that went over uh, even worse. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, so it was a hard, it's a, it's a hard thing when you're, when you're telling your family that, Hey, you're not coming home and you're going to sit there and, I, I know now, you know, I, I, part of my career, I worked Hollywood and we would see kids come out to Hollywood to chase their dreams, to be actors and musicians and everything else like that. And then if they're victims of crime, you, you, you have a chance to talk to their parents and their parents from the Midwest and from Hawaii, from all these different places. And, and you hear that you hear it in their voice and you're like, OK, now I understand, you know, what my parents went through at that time. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And uh, you, you ever get back and visit every now and then? Oh yeah, I try to go. Well, I try to go back once a year. Uh, obviously, this year has been really hard with, uh, with oh, sure, the coronavirus, yeah. and uh, uh, so hopefully they can kind of resolve that. So maybe we can take a trip back home, visit family. Uh, I try to go back. Um, it's a little bit easier now with my kids a little bit older. So traveling with little kids was was challenging, and and right. that was you know that's been that's been a challenge. But yep. now, and they're now done that. Yeah. And they're done that. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. You know, five hours in the plane with a screaming two year old. No, no, nah, no, nah. sir. No, sir. Nah. So, uh, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you didn't want to go back home and, you know, me like, and probably like a lot of the audience here is thinking, but man, that's Hawaii, man. I guess, you know, grass is always greener on the other side, huh? I, I think, 
you know, one of the things that came out of that experience, and, and I think, you know, you working in different agencies, you could probably uh, testify to this too. And, and now that I have, uh, you know, a daughter that's older and, and, and you know, uh, with different young people uh, that I come in contact with, I always come out and say, you know, life is about hard decisions. You know, life is about hard decisions. And you're going to have to make some really hard decisions. And it's not going to be the easiest one. And, and so the, the hard decisions are going to be, uh, you're going to have to move away from home sometimes. Or you, maybe you don't live close to a relative, or maybe you don't, and, or maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's an assignment change or career change. There are going to be things constantly throughout life that you are going to have to make those hard decisions and you're going to have to stick to it. And I love Hawaii. There's nobody that loves Hawaii more than I do. Uh, but I also knew that if I was ever going to go ahead and get these opportunities, you know, opportunities don't come along too often. So when a good opportunity comes by, you got to jump on it. Yeah, definitely. No doubt. No doubt. So, uh, you know, speaking of hard decisions, um, you know, you work in the gang unit, uh, how long you been working at? Uh, off and on, you know what we worked, uh, I worked, uh, our special problems unit as in, in patrol, uh, down in Rampart and as a gang detective, it's a little bit different as a gang detective, obviously, because I don't have a gang, you know, normally gang officers have gangs that are assigned to them. So your job is to know everything about those gangs that are assigned to you. So as a gang detective, I've little bit over a little bit over a year so a year and a half i've been i've been working gang detectives now i've worked i i'm coming from gang in the gang and narcotics division and i've done that for a little bit uh around four years so i've been out of i'm been i'm lucky i've been out of a uniform and out of a suit <laughs> for for quite some time yeah uh, before that i worked uh commercial crimes um so uh, luckily last 10 years, it's been in specialized units in, in blue, blue jeans and t-shirts and everything else like that. Not yeah. shaving and hard and, life, hard life. Yeah. Huh? It's yeah. a hard life. It's a hard life. But it's one that, <laughs> you know, in, yeah. in our gang unit, you know, I, now I have to wear button up shirts and I have to shave and cut my hair. So no oh, okay. sacrifices, sacrifices, but you know, altogether it's been specialized units and, and gangs or, or narcotics. It's been for about five years. Yeah. How's the activity in uh, East LA right now? Oh, Rampart. Oh, you know, um, you know, we have uh, East LA and Rampart is, is pretty close. It's part of Central Bureau. So I live in East LA and, and work in Rampart. So that's it, it really helps with the commute. Um, so Rampart uh, with coronavirus, you know, crime has gone down maybe altogether about 30 percent across the board. Uh, gang crime. Um, again, another you're looking at, you know, significant drops in like aggravated assaults and robberies you're looking 30 in some cases in you know some weeks we're we're going through another extraction period with uh statistics so you're looking at maybe 70 percent in some crimes rapes down considerable uh so violent crime has taken uh, you know it was already downtrending and so it's already going you know it's it's continuing in that we've seen a lot more in coronavirus uh, as people come out, uh, 
of quarantine and, and you know, the stay at home orders and everything. I think we're going to, we're probably going to see an uptick in crime. We're coming to the summer months. Yep. Um, but for those of us who did law enforcement in the nineties, this is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Things are a little different there. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and you, you know, you hit on it, you know, the, the difference between Rampart, maybe in the nineties when we had, you know, the whole Ray Perez scandal and everything, you know, it's different. And you can attest to this, you know, uh, working the streets is it, it's a lot different now. It's a lot different now. We have a different officer that's more equipped to handle life and life in law enforcement now. Uh, but what we have now is, I mean, I remember in Rampart when we had over a hundred, I mean, in six miles, we had over a hundred homicides a year. That's crazy. Yeah. And I remember it was right after 2000, like right around 2000, maybe 2001, 2002. And I remember how happy we were. We had like 98 homicides in one year. Didn't and break a hundred. You were happy. Huh? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the, wow. and the celebration, the chiefs were showing up telling us what a great job we were doing. And this has been the first time in, in like over a decade that we had less than a hundred homicides. And, you know, and I mean, it's nothing near that. And it, a lot of that has to do with a lot of the programs that we have and, and, and the effort that we, we look at now, uh, it's the, the type of policing that we do now has a big role in what we see with the reduction of crime. Uh, um, we, we've kind of gone away from the model of let's throw everybody in jail, you know, uh, let's break doors. Let's, let's, you know, and that's working gangs. You, you've kind of been on the forefront of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more inclusive. So bringing in our stakeholders, bringing in our partners, bringing them in uh, with our with our gang counselors, our, you know, our civilian partners and our, you know, our vendors that are coming in to help, you know, through the grid program. You know, uh, those are the ones that we're bringing in to help us because you're not going to arrest your way out of a gang problem. You're just right. not. Yeah. Um, it, it takes a lot of, you know, you're doing a lot of work in the minority communities and you're going to have to listen and and adopt to roles that maybe you sit there and saying well that's really you know that's not your idea of what a gang cop or what a gang detective should be but you're going to have to take those roles because uh, it's for the greater good you know it's for the greater good it's for you look at all the things all the programs that we're doing um we look at the officers that are out there. Uh, we have a great program in Watts, which is the Watts Rams, which is a which yeah. is a Pop Warner football team. Heard of them before? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's Pop Warner football team, and the coaches are all police officers. And you know, coming up through the '90s, you know, most officers would have turned around and say, you know, why, why are we doing? Why are we going into that? You know, we're we're here. We're we're chasing bad guys and and doing that. Why are we coaching Pop Warner football? And I think in 2020, what we see is those efforts make it easier when we put on a uniform. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we do, and, and I don't care, and I tell this to younger officers, a lot of the stuff that you do now on your off time, make it easier for you to be a police officer in uniform. Uh, 
you know, you look at how many officers do you know take jujitsu? How many officers do you know CrossFit? You're not doing those activities with other police officers. Most of the people that you're doing those activities with are going to be people in the community. And then you're going to be talking about, you know, you're going to be talking about what you do and what better opportunity you have to promote our profession and also give them insight as to what they see on television than those opportunities. Right. Definitely. Definitely. So do you do stuff like that yourself? Are you, are you out there taking, uh, you know, pop Warner football or coaching anything like that? Or are you, any I've, programs? You know, I've always been, I've always been pretty active throughout my, you know, throughout my career. Uh, you know, I belong to the Elks Lodge. I've also been, you know, I've been really, um, active in my kid's school. I was at one time I was the PTA president. I was the vice president. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. as a guy, so d- taking on different roles as a dad and, you know, we can, we could talk all day about, you know, the, the roles that fathers and, and men have in our inner cities and, and in our families' lives, but also in communities. So one of the things as a police officer, I saw how, you know, how a lot of a lot of kids growing up today, one of the big things that I see with with taking kids into custody, you know, a lot of them are g- growing up without dads and are getting into problems without dads. So I took it amongst myself. Hey, I'm going to pay. I'm going to play a bigger role as a dad. So I was the vice president of the school board. Um, uh, I was active in the church. Uh, I did a lot of things. I, as later on, I became a single dad and, and was raising my kids full time. I've kind of taken a, a break from a lot of my civic uh, organizations and everything, but I still play a role in that. Um, support a lot of different uh, functions in the police station, and a lot of those things are, you know, out there in the community. And I and I'm a big supporter of it. And Looking forward as my as my son, you know, gets out of high school, you know, looking forward to that part of it as well, getting back and kind of into things and, and doing a lot more things in the community that, you know, that I believe in. I believe mm-hmm. strongly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we talked uh, off air about, you know, the stuff that's going on in Minnesota right now with the unrest. And we talked about, you know, tactics and all that type of stuff. Um, you in L.A., you guys are dealing with, uh, with some of that unrest right now. Um, how are you guys holding up with that? Uh, we're holding up, uh, uh, the benefit, or I should say, you know, the benefit and downfall, the strength, sometimes your strength is also your biggest weakness. The, the strength of our organization is that we've seen, we've seen a lot of these things happen, whether it's a Laker championship, whether it's, you know, a a controversy or, or whatever. So we've had, you know, we've had the 92 riots, we've had, Uh, a lot of different things. We had the DNC in 2000, uh, which was a lot of, you know, a week of of nonstop protests and and a lot of them getting really violent. Um, So I think what happens is for me in 25 years, I, you know, I can look at that and say, well, you know, it's been a really bad two days, but it wasn't like 2000 during the DNC where they, you know, they really trashed the place or it wasn't that first night, that first Kobe uh, Shaq championship where they really destroyed Los right, Angeles. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that? that? Yeah. yeah. And that, yeah. that was, that was, and those were pretty scary times. You know what? I mean, and being a young officer and, and going through that. Uh, so going through these last two nights, you know, you're able to, to look at it and kind of put it in context. Um, so it's not as bad as those times. Uh, I think it's, I think it's important. You know, if you have time on, if you've seen those, the DNC, if you've seen, 
those Laker riots, if you've seen any of those things that any of those other controversial times, then you need to be in the ears of your young officers because this is the first time that they've ever been. And they're excited. They're, you know, they're angry, you know, to see the destruction that's 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 on. And, and, and that's totally understandable. But you can be upset, but you still have a, a job to do. And we need to make sure that our younger officers are out there, you know, and they did a really great job. I, you know, I couldn't be prouder of, I mean, when I, when I'm sitting there, you know, on, on, you know, unfortunately, you know, they didn't pull my number and any cop worth his grain of salt is looking on TV and you're, if you're not part of that, you're sitting there going, ah, I wish I was there. I wish I was part of it. Uh, only because that's what, that's what's in your blood. Mm -hmm. And I looked at everybody last night and man, I couldn't be prouder of any group of people. They, they really did a great job. Um, it never goes off perfect. There's, you know, there's things that you sit there and like, Hey, we could do something better. We could do this better, but just the quality of the people, you know, uh, letting people have their say, letting them have their first amendment, you know, rights, but also when it came time, that things were getting out of hand, you know, they came out and, you know, they came out and, and, and did a great job. Yeah, definitely. You know, I remember, you know, you and I talked off air about, you know, the incident that spurred it all uh, with George Floyd and, you know, you know, I won't get into much about that, but, you know, what were your thoughts on, you know, accountability of officers that, that see something like that? You know, what is your responsibility for, for our, for our audience to, you know, to stop something like that. Cause you know, we hear that all the time. Why don't good cops speak out? Well, yes. And I think that's the one thing about George Floyd that I, I think that we all can take away from it is that, you know, you have cops in the street sitting there saying, Hey, this is wrong. And, and I, and I get it. You know what? We, we all have, we all work with that person who has that big personality or has that dominant personality, that alpha and it's hard to go up and, and tell that person, hey, that this is, hey, you know, this is a better way. I, I don't, I, I think sometimes, you know what, I, I, I think it was when coming up, I, I heard it best from a veteran cop who said, who said to me, he goes, it's not about being right or wrong. It's what you're doing the safest thing out there. And that's really what you have to do. So it's not about, hey, is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? This is about the safest thing to do. So if you apply it to these officers, you know, is what you're doing the safest thing, safest for your partner, but also safe for the actual person that you're trying to take in custody. Right. And that's that, and that's what you're beholden to. So you would sit there and one, command and control. We, we use that a lot in Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles Police Department, you know, getting getting there on the on the scene somebody needs to take control so if you're an officer and it doesn't matter how much time on you have if no one's taking control then you as a leader need to take control of that scenario and get people where they need to get but also make sure that everything is taken care of including that person that you're trying to take in custody making sure that person survived uh, it does come up from time to time, but you don't, you never want to have, have it happen to you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So what's, what changes have you seen on your time on, uh, from the day you started up until today, 
as far as, you know, recruitment, as far as the, 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 the sort of officer that you're getting now. I know, you know, across the board, you know, we're all having problems recruiting. Uh, what, what sort of changes have you seen? Oh, the the recruiting thing is I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, recruiting, you know, we're still recruiting. Uh, one of the big things uh, I've talked to recruitment this week and with and asking them all the stuff with uh, COVID uh, 19, what are the things so you can still you can now apply online. You can you can do that application online. Everything will be done online. Um, your interview will be just like how we're doing it now, uh, which is which is really out of the box thinking, but at least it gets through our hiring process. So I think for those of you who are are watching this and, and are interested in a in a in a in a career in law enforcement, know that you know just because we have COVID nineteen, you can still apply. You will still go through the process, and it isn't until the end part. And what we've done is we've moved the the physical agilities test and the polygraph test further back in your process so you can get uh, a lot more of that stuff done uh, online and and through video conferences just like this yeah yeah, yeah. but the quality of people that we see um amazing you know what uh if you know when we all came on we, we always used to hear older guys say uh you know uh you know they're they're the guys that are coming out through the academy, they're cocky, yeah, or they're, they're this, or they're that, or they're not that. You know, I, you know, with 25 years on, I got to say, that the, the people that are coming out of the academy, hey, they're the finest in America. They, they really are. And I, I couldn't be uh, – I, I think we're really getting people that are really uh, – they're great multitaskers. Um, good, uh, good word. Good, good description. Yeah. Multitaskers. Yeah. Yeah. They can, they can multitask a lot better than we could. Uh, I think like my generation, it's, it's more of a, it was more of a black and white gray area resistant to change. And the ones that are coming out, I mean, they can change and change on a dime. I mean, it's, you know, if you turn around, change a policy, change a procedure, change this, change technology, they're just so, uh, so flexible. So um, uh, we come from a, you know, we come from a profession that can be rigid sometimes and could be resistant to change. And that group, amazing. Uh, uh, you came on and so did I, we came on in a, in a age of no body cameras. Yeah. yeah. Uh, body camera was body cameras is, is a game changer because no one, no one likes to be filmed all the time, which is what body cameras basically do. So right. uh, there is a, that changes, you know, that changes, uh, that changes a lot. Uh, not so much as in your performance. And that's another thing, you know, once body camera, you thought you would have all this, eh, no, uh, j- body camera just uh, verified what you knew all along that we have a lot of professional a lot of great police officers that do great police work. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Did did the rank and file had to be kind of sold on it? Because I, I I can imagine when they first came on, uh, you know, everyone's like, "No, nah, I'm not. I don't want to wear these things and be recorded 24 seven. But uh, you know, you know, the new cats coming on, yeah, it is what it is. You know, they don't know any different. But uh, people that were there before, what what was that like? Uh, just like how you said. Yeah, I mean, for those of us who 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 came up 
through the ranks without it. Uh, we're really, we, you know, we were really resistant change. We're, you know, we, we weren't so much against body cameras as to what it is that you do with the information. And those are two yeah. things. One is if you sit there and, you know, and, you know, I'm, and, you know, one, are you recording me when I'm going to the bathroom? <laughs> Number two, yeah. um, you know, we, we talk about things and, and a lot of times we talk it in jest. Uh, if you get a cop, co you know, do you, if you get a copy of my conversation that I say in jest and you take it out of context is, you know, what are the penalties on that? I think that was a valid concern in our, our protective league, which is our union did a really good job beforehand getting in front of it and, and kind of mitigating a lot of those concerns and also addressing some of those concerns. But also, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that with body cameras, you know, we hear a lot of, you know, a lot of the, the advocates and a lot of the, the you know, the, the, the social justice uh, advocates coming out and saying, well, we want body cameras and we want to see everything. Um, we also had to balance that with other citizens. Uh, you know, right. if you get pulled over for drunk driving, um, you know, yeah, you did a criminal act, but that might not make you a bad person. And so you, your neighbor doesn't get a chance or shouldn't get a chance to see you at your worst. Um, if you're having a fight or an argument with, a, with your wife, uh, your neighbor shouldn't call and be able to go on a website to see what you're arguing about. So if an officer goes to see there, you know, and you see an officer going to your neighbor's house, you know, your neighbor shouldn't be able to go on the LAPD website and see, you know, what's going on next door. Let me go and, and find out just right. because you want to be a nosy neighbor versus you have a, a, some kind of concern with law enforcement. So a lot of that is, is protecting the citizens too, because once, you know, we, we heard everybody that they wanted body cameras and they wanted to see everything. Uh, but we also had to protect the people that we, that we serve as well. Uh, does your employer get to see, like, if you know, you have an employee that was arrested, uh, do they get to go into our database and see what it is that you got arrested about? Do you have a right to privacy from that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it, it's really a need to know, not a, not a, want to yes. know, desire to know type of thing. Uh, you know, do you have a right to know? Do you have a need to know it? Then yeah. You know, put in the, put in a request and we can provide that for you. I remember when just even when audio recorders came in at, at my agency, uh, a lot of us were resented, resistant to that. But uh, you know, those, those things, you know, saved me a few times when uh, complaints and, you know, the watch commander will listen to it and say, no, that didn't quite happen the way that you're describing. And then when the complainant comes in and they look or listen to it too, you know, they, you know, want to turn around it's, and leave because it didn't happen the way that they, they said it. So yeah, those things can save you too, you know, on the officer's end too. It's absolutely correct. And, you know, I, I had one, I had a case this week where, you know, you had somebody who said, you know, this is how this incident unfolded. And then I went into the officer's body worn video and it was totally contradicting what that person said. I think as body worn went on, we saw the benefits and there is an extreme benefit. Uh, just like how you said, where people have come in and said, officer X did a, B, and C. And then when you go through the body worn, it shows something totally different. Uh, and it exonerates that officer. Uh, I think it's 
you know, I think a lot of people at the beginning, when you talk about officers and their resistance to change, they were just resistant to change. Yeah. But when it really rolled out and I'm a big, I never thought I'd see the day where I'd be a big advocate for a body worn video because of all the, all the doubts that you had before. But when you actually put it down in the, in the way it's practiced, you know, I tell agencies, I mean, you'd be a fool not to go in that direction. It, it really saves officers. Um, we see it with critical incidents when we looked at officer involved shootings and that's really saved us. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of incidents that happen that people have taken because people have video cameras and they're videotaping Oh yeah, and, and they'll sell it and they'll say, Hey, this, and they'll run away with a narrative. And I, I can think of two or three incidents right offhand that once you saw the body worn, it really shows a different angle and really, you know, we were looking at some riots ourselves. We're looking at a lot of these controversial uh, incidents that we see people riding over. And once you release the body worn video, people have said, wait, wait a minute, there's more to this story. Yeah, and no doubt. it saved it. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Because everyone out in the public's got, you know, a camera accessible in their pocket. So, you know, why shouldn't the department? So, you know, to release the whole story because release usually, the whole story. Yeah. Cause usually on the, uh, on the public ones, um, those are, you know, started, you know, who knows when five minutes after, uh, an incident started. So you don't capture what happened before what's, what started it, the whole thing. So yeah, if an officer has a body worn, yeah, it, it, hopefully it shows the whole thing. And what I like about our department is that we kind of got on the forefront of this, where we would release the body worn. And also we would have someone from our agency that would sit there, give you the highlights of it so they can and and tell yes. you what it is that you're seeing um explaining like hey we recovered a gun this is a picture of the gun this is what it is and and so you just you're not just getting raw footage because i yeah. think that's a that's a problem too this is the raw footage but we're gonna sit there and we're gonna give you the whole picture these are our policies towards use of force shootings things like that this is the process that we go through these are the things that these are the reviews, whether it's a district attorney review, uh, a use of force review board. This is the process. And so somebody can just not just see the video in its raw form, but they also get context and they also get what our policies and procedures is on that specific yeah. incident. Yeah, we've, I've seen a ton of those the, for, for our audience. If you want to see those, you can just pull them up off of YouTube. Um, sometimes our watch commanders will, will run through those in briefing and, and we'll go through it and, you know, talk about situations, uh, pro and cons and all that type of stuff for training. And, uh, you know, it's good stuff It's usually narrated, like you said, by, you know, either a captain or somebody and, uh, they, they give you the whole spiel, you know, of what went down policies and procedures, uh, context, you know, they give you the dispatch 911 calls, all that type of stuff. So it's real good stuff, real good stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, um, uh, and it also brings out, you know, uh, we talk about, you know, um, you know, part of the big, you know, recruitment is we're going into communities, um, that, you know, we've always gone out and, and reached out a hand to our minority communities to bring them in. Um, and I think that's the difference between maybe 1995 and, and 2020 is that now LA is one of the few departments 
at least a big, a big department that it's a minority, what they call a minority majority. And for those of your viewers that don't know what it is, it's basically the majority of the people that you see on the Los Angeles Police Department are minorities. So really, how long has that been? Uh, and if we got it like right around, you know, Bill Bratton, when he became police chief, that was a big focus of his, that he wanted a, a minority majority. And that's the first time I ever heard. It. I was like, what, what, what is that? And to where I'm, the majority of the people in your ranks are going to be uh, women or minorities. And so you're seeing record, uh, record numbers of women on the job now in LAPD. You're seeing, uh, you know, if you look at the command staff structure, you're seeing a lot of uh, African-Americans. You're seeing uh, uh, at the highest ranks, at the highest tops. I mean, you're looking at uh, Hispanics and and, uh, and, and blacks and, and Asians uh, in the command staff levels that you haven't seen. Um, you, you know, and, and it's a process and it's a process. It's about putting putting people in the right places. It's about putting you know, it, it's about opening doors opening doors for people that exactly that maybe yeah. that that don't come from your background that maybe don't come from you know where you're at and i think and and it but it takes an organization to sit there and saying that's my goal my goal is to open the doors and and really and really put a stamp on it mm-hmm. saying this is this is what it is we are not we are going we're looking and and i think what we found well, we, we always knew this to be the case, I, but I think what we did was we, we really put it in action is that, you know what, once we did that and once we said that, that that's our goal, we found that there is a lot of qualified Hispanics, Asians, Blacks in our ranks that all they needed was a chance. Yeah. And, and we gave them and we gave them the chance and and they're performing outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, to, to lend different points of view, different perspectives to, you know, command decisions, uh, to have those different, different, uh, people in the, in those positions. Yeah. That definitely lends, lends to it. Definitely. That's, that's definitely. really what it is. And, um, and, you know, we talk about, you know, all the different experiences and everything else like that. And everybody has a different experience. And, um, when you bring in and you have a, a, a diverse, uh, diverse group of people, you have all these different experiences and they all come with different. And, and here's the, here's the thing. Here's the kicker about it though. You have to listen. You got to listen. That's, and that's what, you know, that's what we hear over and over again. It is not about, well, this is right or this is wrong, or this is, it is, People come from different parts and, you, and you're policing a city that's very diverse and you, you can't go into people's communities and, and, and a lot of these communities and say, okay, this is the way it should be because people don't believe you're listening and people, you know, the, you're their police department. And so you need to be, you need to listen to what their concerns are because uh, I, that's, that's the most effective way of policing. You know, if the people believe that you're reflective of them, then it prevents them from burning your city down when there's controversy, which is what we see in Minneapolis. One of the big things I've talked about in, in other forums is part of the problem in, in, in Minneapolis is 
I don't live there, but it just looks from the outside in that you didn't have a really strong relationship with your, with your black community. Yeah. And when you have something like this and you don't have a strong relationship with that community that's affected, then you see, you see riots, you know, you see riots, you see, we've had controversy in LAPD. We're not without it. Um, of course. But the difference then and now is in 2020, we do a really good job reaching out. And if there's any type of controversy, the first person we're, we're talking with our stakeholders, we're talking with their community members, whether it's in the churches, whether it's in community organizations, and we're on the phone with them, you know, ASAP, letting them know that, hey, this is happening and let's get together so that we can get a hold of this before it gets out of hand. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. That part right there. That's some good stuff. What's some challenges that you can see for your department and, and you in general and, and specifically in the, in the future? Uh, specific challenges towards the community, specific challenges towards technology, specific challenges in recruitment. What, what do you think is a, a big challenge for you guys? I think uh, the biggest challenge has been maybe within the last 10 years or so has been um, whoever, whoever's leading your organization has to have a, a really good handle on social media. I think social media has been kind of like the game changer in our profession and there's good and there's bad for it, you know? So no doubt um, you have to be the, you have to be transparent. Um, there's no longer, uh, there's no longer a, a, a day, you know, we talk about this blue curtain or this, you know, this code of silence or anything else like that. Um, uh, social media has destroyed all of that. Uh, I, I, I joke now that in 2020, uh, being employed by a police department is sort of like a game of high school. Everybody knows your gossip. Everybody knows it. Yeah. You're not doing anything in a vacuum, not in this day and age. So you have to be the type of leader that gets, uh, gets a good handle on that. Because if we, li we live in a big police department, but the difference between 2020, as in maybe 1985 or 1995, is that if you are, some, if you are somewhat this type of person or if, you're, if you get a reputation say in a place like West Valley. Well, uh, by, by the afternoon, the people in Harbor Division are going to know about you or yeah. just word of mouth. So leadership has to change. And I think we're changing. Uh, we're getting more, uh, uh, we're getting more people as we, we diversify. We're getting more, we seeing it at the top and even, um, even all the way throughout the ranks that we have a better handle on at least the social media part. No doubt. Uh, we talked about it uh, now with the challenges. I think one of the big challenges is is going out into our minority communities. It's it's going to have to be. It's not. It's never going to be something that we're going to sit there and say, "Well, okay, we we've, we've gotten it. <laughs> we're at this perfect place." Uh, no, you're going to have. To, it's going to have to be a consistent thing. You're going to have to go back into a lot of our communities, whether it's East Los Angeles, whether it's Watts, South Central and go and recruit uh, people in those communities and foster programs, whether it's through our, our Explore program, 
whether it's through our CAPS program and uh, going out into our military bases and, and, and finding, finding talent there and recruiting them into your organization. Because like you said, different viewpoints, different experiences make your organization better. And I think that's one of the, it, that's going to be a continuous challenge because um, it's hard coming up through a minority community, maybe looking at it from the outside in and saying, Hey, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. You know, if, if you think that's, you know, through that, that maybe you're not going to get an opportunity or maybe there, if you think that that organization is not, um, you know, is not someplace that's open to you, then you're not going to join that. You know, you're going to go find a, another career or you're going to find an organization that, you know, that you think, you know, as, as a young black man or, or young black woman that, that, that's going to give you an opportunity or is going to, you know, going to be open to, to you or and your thoughts and your views. I go, that's, that's what we want to make here. Right. And, and that's, that's has to happen on an everyday basis. Not, not something that's an occasional thing. So LAPD is a you know, pretty large organization. And, you know, we talked about how diverse it is. Do you know if there's a large contention of Hawaiians or, you know, you have Filipino, you said Filipinos on the, on the department? Well, uh, part of my, um, part of my uh, role here now on LAPD is I'm a vice president of LEAP, the Law Enforcement Association of Asian Pacifics, which is uh, one of the largest uh, Asian police officers association uh, in the country. Uh, very proud of it. And, and our job is to, is to promote um, promote training and opportunities and to advocate for our members, opportunities for Asian Americans uh, in law enforcement in general, but also on the LAPD. I was actually pretty surprised when I came on that there is a large uh, contingency of, of Hawaiians and, and, and Hawaiian born and raised officers that are on this department and and it's through our efforts to go out and find the best and the brightest. And that's something that we have. And it's actually a pretty, pretty neat community. We have a lot of, a lot of Hawaiians, a lot of Samoans, a lot of Tongans on, on the department. And uh, we do have a lot of com communities. We have, obviously we have a large Filipino community in, in the LA area in Carson and Eagle Rock, um, uh, we have a historic Filipino town in Rampart Division, and uh, it's it's great to see. You know, we have a Koreatown and, and all these things and and all these places and enclaves from Asian Americans and, and Hawaiians. Are uh, I, I'm actually pretty surprised on, on coming from such a small place that we have a lot of Hawaiians on this job and and doing rather well. Yeah, that's cool. That's real cool. So we have to see you in a, in a grass skirt one of these days, brother. <laughs> uh, you're probably going to be waiting for a little yeah. while longer than, you know, not to say that I look bad in a grass skirt, but. Yeah. <laughs> it, so if, if you and the rock were standing next to each other, we wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Uh, right? Identical, identical twins. Yeah. I, you know, it's an ongoing, you hit it on an ongoing <laughs> joke. I, it, on, uh, it's, it's amazing because me and uh, me and the rock are actually around the same age. And he went to a rival high school on Oahu. Okay. And uh, we actually, it's, I actually have friends that actually went to high school with him and grew up. Uh, the Rock, uh, uh, if you know him, uh, his history, his dad, Rocky, Rocky Johnson, uh, was a famous wrestler as well. 
and he wrestled for a large uh, for a long part of his career in Hawaii and his you know uh, the rock's mom is Samoan and his his uh, grandmother was the promoter in in Hawaii they were one of the big wrestling promoters in Hawaii so that my first wrestling card that I went out and saw was Rocky Johnson so the rock's dad was the first on the first card and was in the main event of the first wrestling matches that I saw as a kid growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Did you play any sports growing up? You know what? I, I went to school out of my district or, you know, we out of district, uh, which is, um, I, I went to a school which was kind of far away from, from my home school. So that logistically playing team sports was, was kind of a challenge. And then also, you know what? It just, uh, I kind of gravitated towards, uh, you know, individual sports, you know, uh, wrestling, obviously grew up as a wrestling, <laughs> wrestling fan, watching the rock and his dad, the rock's dad and, and Jimmy Superfly Snuka. And then we also had a lot of guys that, um, growing up in Hawaii, King Curtis Alkea, uh, which was, uh, his, his kids went to school with me. So it, it was kind of like the thing in Hawaii, uh, that, that you grew up and you wanted always to be a wrestler and everything else. So I kind of gravitated towards wrestling and boxing and a lot of those individual sports. So I was blessed in, and I grew up in an environment where team sports, you know, it, it was big, but we also had a, a big contingent or a big thing where, you know, and it's kind of morphed into what you see now where, you know, you see, in MMA, you see a lot of a uh, lot of MMA fighters coming out of Hawaii. Mm -hmm. uh, BJ Penn uh, obviously is the biggest one, and you see a whole bunch of them. And and jujitsu is is big in Hawaii, and I have tons of friends. And you know, I, most most of my friends who are on the police department back home, uh, all of them, you know, all of them, you know, practice Brazilian jujitsu, and it's like a big thing. And I think I'm the only one that doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, but you, you can handle yourself. So, yeah, I, you know, I can handle myself. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there in age. So, you know, uh, jujitsu is one of those things where, you know what, um, you kind of need a healthy back and, and, yeah, and healthy yeah, knees. And yeah, this is true. I'll stick to CrossFit. I'll stick to CrossFit and, you know, and, and, and destroy my body. That there way. you go. <laughs> so you say you're getting up there in age. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Uh, you know what? Um, Obviously, you know, I have two years or going towards my second year in, in the gang unit. And um, hopefully it's 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 I kind of find my niche. You know, I kind of found my niche. Um, uh, I think it's more, you know, where I see myself more is, you know, is is staying at Rampart unless there is something that that really knocks my socks off. And I I, I don't know what it is, um, but uh, that's really where I wanted to end up. And man, I can't ask for a better job. You know, I, I love all the people that I work with. I work with some of the best and the brightest people on LAPD. Um, uh, it's put me back in a patrol division, which is something that I really like. Um, it's good for an old cop to be around young cops. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, I think it's, I, I think it's dangerous for old cops to be around old other old cops because uh, what you wind up having is uh, there's a lot of cynicism and a lot of everything's BS. You know, yeah, you can't, yep. 
you know, you, you know, you know, you've been on. I, I once got to explain to me is that, you know, there's a chemical change in a, in a cop's brain that happens after the third year and where he can't say a single sentence without putting BS <laughs> in it's where everything is BS. This is BS and that's BS. So I, I think that's a lot. It, it's true. Um, being around young guys that are just coming on and just starting out has been kind of has been really good for my career and also good for my soul yeah. uh, uh, I think sometimes we come on and and as we go along and uh, it's good to see people who, uh, I mean that all they want to do is do police work and they'll go hungry they'll they'll do it in you know they'll they'll do police work in the rain and and they do all these things that you know that young 20 year old cops like doing and and it's good for you yeah. because it forces you it forces you to raise your game to take more of a teacher role but also it it teaches you to you know to talk positive right right to talk positive you don't want to be the old guy in the back that has a wise answer for everything and it's always doom and gloom so while that those thoughts definitely come into your mind you know, I, I'm a big believer that, you know, you shouldn't be bringing a lot of those things in. You could say it every once in a while, but the vast majority of what needs to come out of your mouth with somebody with 25 years on needs to be positive, needs to be, you know, you can't be the poison in the well. No doubt. Give, be in those ears of, of those young cops and give them, let them know that, hey, you're doing a great job. Yeah. So you know, you're, you're the right cop. Yeah. I think we got a notification there. Kind of locked up. Run out of battery. Lost you there. You there, brother? There we go. We're back. <laughs> Okay, we're back. <laughs> we're back. Yeah, I'll, I'll edit all that out. Yeah. Oh, I I think I got my Amazon package. Oh, okay. <laughs> anything good? You get anything good? Oh, I know. I'm, I, you know what? I'm waiting for my chest plate. You know what? I did the. You know what? For those of you who CrossFit, do the Murph, the big workout and everything, where you do like a thousand jumping jacks and and squats and everything else like that, and you're supposed to be doing it with a weighted vest. Well, you know, fat guy like me, I got a weighted vest built in. So I was like, I don't need any of that stuff. All right. All right. So, we're good. We're good. We're good. So, uh, yeah. so, uh, in the next five years or so, you, you still see yourself working. You're not going to pull the cord and, and call it a career, huh? Well, I mean, I'm three years away from retirement age. So, um, I think we lost you again. Other than that, I, I, I don't see, I, I, I really don't see, um, I, I see myself retiring. I, I don't see myself being inactive. Yeah. Uh, so whether it's, um, whether it's going into something, uh, there's still a lot of things that I really want to do. I mean, uh, you mentioned it that, you know, you're going, you know, you're, you're continuing your education. Um, uh, that's something that's definitely great. Uh, I think 
uh, that's something on my bucket list, you know, to, to follow up and, 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 and get, you know, get, you know, on that and maybe do some teaching and, and, and there you go. do that. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah. All right. Well, I wish you lots of luck. Maybe man. write a book. Yeah, yeah. There you maybe go. Write you, a book, yeah, you got make a, a movie. I'm sure you yeah, I'm sure you got a lot of stories over there after twenty five years yeah, yeah. in LA. So Yeah, I'll get the I'll get the rock to play me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or at least you could be a stunt. They double. always ask me, they always ask me who's gonna play me in my movie. Yeah, you know, I'm sitting rock. there like, hey, they're like, Craig, you gotta go do it. And I was like, Well, you know, if the rock, you know, um, you know, I'll see, you know, I'll see how Denzel looks in four, four or five years to see if he wants to play another cop, yeah. you know. Well, you know, you got a little bit more hair than, than the rock does. So yeah. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> you know, have to use a hair pieces up. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> All right, man. I appreciate you coming on, man. You, you, I hope you, you know, stay safe out there. Wash the hands, wear the mask yeah. and, uh, all this, That's this craziness, you too, you too. all this craziness out on the street. Before I let you go, though, brother, you know, I'd like to play this game with my guests. So sit tight. All right. And uh, okay. And we will get you set up here. So this game here, I like to call it. It's called uh, Black or Blue. 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 All right. So this game is called Black or Blue. Black or Blue. And it's real simple. Your category today is called That's Comical. That's Comical. Comic book superheroes. I hope you know your MCU, your Marvel, your DC, and all that. Um, I grew up a I grew up a comic book kid. Okay, all right. Well, this I'm, this should, I'm ready. This I'm ready. Be easy hey, for I'm, you. I'm ready for this. All right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so all I'm going to do is I'm going to name a character, and you tell me if a main color of their of their costume is black or blue, black or blue. That's okay. that's real simple, right? All right. So you ready? Right. Uh, this is a softball. Your first one here, Catwoman. Catwoman. Black. Black. Definitely. There's Catwoman. If you missed that one, uh <laughs> had to take your comic yes. card. Your comic card. Exactly. But this one might be a little harder for you. Here's this one. North Star. North Star. Who? North Star. Yeah, I couldn't give you all softballs. Yo, I know. I- I'm gonna say blue. Uh you would be wrong. North Star. Oh, no. oh. Yeah, you ever seen that dude before? No, yeah. I'm sitting there. Is he a, is he a DC character? He is Marvel. Or? He was part of Alpha Marvel Flight. Character. Part of Alpha Flight. I'm a I'm a comic nerd, so I know all these things. But uh, maybe you don't. Well, let's let's get you next one. This should be a softball. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Blue. Blue. Definitely blue. And blue. She definitely is. I, I remember the uh, the old TV show. You remember that? Yes. Yeah. With, with Linda Carter. Yeah. With Linda Carter. I used to love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah gave a young boy. <laughs> Move on, move on. Your next move one. On. <laughs> Your next one here, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. Oh, blue. Definitely blue. All right. Yeah, he's he's uh, got some movies going on. Your next one, Nova. 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 I Another know obscure. the character. I'm trying to think of his. I'm gonna say black. Ah, uh, you'd be wrong. Oh. He's blue. Oh. Yeah, there's uh yeah, they're gonna actually make a movie with the. He's he's part of a whole like the Marine Corps. It's called the Nova Corps. So Nova. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, they take right, they take characters right. from they take people from different Minnesota, yes different uh, planets to be in this in this core, kind of like the Green Lantern Corps. Except this is the yes. uh, the Marvel version called the Nova Corps. All right, your next one. You should get this one, the Punisher. The Punisher. Oh, black. Definitely black. Yes. Yes. There he is. Um, your next one, Deadpool. 
Deadpool is going to be black. Yep. Red and black. Red and black. Yep. Played by Ryan Reynolds in the movies. A couple more for yes. you. Um, Martian Manhunter. Martian Manhunter is blue. Yep. He would be blue. All right. He's green, but his costume there is blue, red and blue there. And your last one, come on, you got to get this one. Superman. Oh, blue. Come on, we all know that one. Blue. Yes, sir. All right. You got the seven right and two wrong. So I'm going to say you're the winner. Yeah, see, they're cheering for you. Hands go my up. Son's, my son's going to be disappointed in the two I got wrong. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm All raising right. a comic book kid. He's like, it's great because we're both comic book fans and you know, he's, he's always telling me about all the the new updates and everything. And I'm going to go right, right. As we're done this, I'm going to go in and I'm going to be like, Hey, who are these characters? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So yeah, yeah. Hit him up and he'll let you know. He'll give you the whole yes. skinny on that. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate you coming on again, Craig. And, uh, it was good stuff. Good info. Um, like I said, be safe out there. Uh, we got a lot of civil unrest going on right now. Hopefully it'll die down soon. Um, but in the meantime, you know, just watch your six, as we say, we like to say in the business, keep your head on the swivel. All right. You do the same. You do the same. Glad to be here. You got it. I'll talk to you. Talk to you soon. All right, y'all. That's it for this episode of the black and blue podcast. I want to thank my guests on this episode. LAPD detective Craig Marquez for joining me here today. I appreciate you, sir. Keep representing that Aloha state, even though you are here in the golden state. If you guys out there appreciate this sort of content as well, make sure you like and subscribe to the show on the Black and Blue Podcast YouTube channel or whatever podcast platform you hear my voice today. I'll be back next week with another interesting guest. Same black time, same black channel. But till then, y'all know what to do. Stay black and blue. I'll holler at you. Peace. This has been a Maitre D Entertainment presentation.